uncomfortable. I got to tell you, my number one goal today is to make you a little uncomfortable. Just so you know. <laughs> I uh, don't think I need this. When I was little, my happy place, my most comfortable place, was um, reading a book in this chair. And my mom used to say to me when you know things were going on, I'd get comfortable in my chair, and my mom would say, don't get too comfortable, you've got chores to do. Don't get too comfortable, dinner's in 10 minutes. Don't get too comfortable, we're going out tonight. And I always thought that was uh, her telling me, I don't want to fight with you about your book, so don't get too comfortable. Today, we are, we're going to talk about comfort in our Western culture, in our Western church. And I believe that we were created for comfort. When we go back to Genesis, God made the heavens and the earth. God made the mountains and the water and all the land. And it was good. And then he created us, humanity in his image. And three times he said, in my image, I create mankind. And it was very good. We were built for comfort. But then sin entered the world. And with sin came separation, isolation, and division. In Genesis 3, we see God telling them after, after Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden. And he tells them, he says to Eve, childbirth is going to hurt. It is not going to be fun. You are going to desire the man in your life, and he's going to rule over you. And to man, he said, you no longer just have food available to you. You have to toil for it. And it's going to be hard because I'm going to put in thorns and thistles, and you're going to have to work to have your food now, and you're going to have to work to have your life. Think about it. They're in this garden. They have everything they need. They're comfortable, more comfortable than you and I have ever known. And one sin, and the world is broken, and they're no longer comfortable. And in fact, in Genesis 3, verse 21, I think. Rob, you can tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> verse 21, it says, God made their animals, took animal skins to make them clothes so they would be protected. So sin didn't just bring trouble for Adam and Eve. It didn't just bring discomfort for Adam and Eve. It brought discomfort for the animals because now we have our first sacrifice. The animals that were made to be a part of this perfect world now have to be sacrificed. And this is the first sacrifice for protection. And as you go through the Bible, you see it more and more. Louis Giglio says, God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to be faithful. And it's hard to be both sometimes, isn't it? I was doing my quiet time a few weeks ago, and um, I heard God very clearly say, you need to apologize to your niece. Now, everything about that was uncomfortable to me. First of all, 
what I needed to apologize for happened, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago. Sadly, I had not thought about it in eight or 10 years. I had not, um, I wasn't feeling any guilt or shame over it. It wasn't something I laid in, uh, and worried about at night. And so God said, you need to do this. And I, my first thought is, and I'm just gonna tell you, when God calls you to do this, he also asks you to share all your ugly. So you get to see all the parts <laughs> inside of me that I would prefer people didn't see. And so my first thought wasn't that, oh, you have to apologize, but it was, oh, she's so young and she's on every social media platform. She'll probably take this and put it out there for the world to see. But the fact was, I did need to apologize for what happened many years ago. So I sent her a message and I told her that I was not Jesus in that, at that day. In fact, I was as far from Jesus as you could be. And, you know, she sent me back a message and she said, Auntie, I don't hold grudges, no problems here. Which was grace. And I was very thankful to have that. And then, I don't know, a week or a week and a half later during my quiet time, I heard God say very clearly, you need to, ap- you need to apologize to a former pastor not one from this church. Now this, there were, all, there were more, more layers to this. First of all, I wasn't wrong, and I did tell God that. He didn't disagree, but he did tell me I had to apologize for the way that I handled the situation. So I thought reaching out to my niece was uncomfortable. Reaching out to a pastor who you know is really angry with you even though you don't really know why, was even more uncomfortable. (laughs) God, in his wisdom, blessed my obedience and faithfulness. I reached out to this pastor, and I very carefully worded it, so he knew that I wasn't apologizing for (laughs) doing something wrong, but how I handled it. And he immediately reached back out to me and said, I don't even remember this, because again, it was, I mean, it was like 15 years ago. I don't even remember this, but I'm sure you're right. And what happened from that was a broken relationship was restored. So I was uncomfortable, but that I could see why I had to do it. So as we move on today, we're going to talk a little bit about being uncomfortable and what that means to us. If you will join me in Philippians 3, verses 3 through 11, those are our verses for today. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And of course, Paul is is writing this to the church of Philippi. He is in prison, so he's not very comfortable. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for the zeal, persecuting the church, as for the righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains for me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Friends, this is audacious faith right here. He knows that he can't move forward in his own confidence. When I move forward in my own confidence, I am nullifying the work that God did in me. Gosh, that happens way too often for me. I so badly want to let go of everything that is Nita and fill it up with everything that is Holy Spirit and Jesus that I can take out into the world. But here's the problem for me. There's a lot of Nita still left in me, but I want to be over here. No Nita, all Holy Spirit. But what's in between is going to be really uncomfortable and really painful for me to get here because you can't just jump over the uncomfortable and the painful to get to the fullness of the Holy Spirit that that Paul has and that we want to have in our lives. And this is something that I strive for every day. And every time I move forward in my own strength, in my own flesh, I nullify the work that God's done in me. And I don't want to do that anymore. I want Paul's audacious faith. So let's talk about who he was before he was converted. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, zealous, and righteousness under the law. He was a man that every Jewish man looked up to and said, this is who I want to be. And we think of Pharisees as maybe not so great because we have the New Testament, but before that, they were very much the place that people wanted to be. He was a pure-blooded Jew, circumcised on the eighth day. He could trace his lineage back to Abraham. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. King Saul was the very first king. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, and Saul was named for him. A Hebrews of Hebrews, he did not, he and his family did not adopt the Greek customs under Roman rule a Pharisee, a member of the strictest sect, and they knew the law inside, outside, and upside down. He was zealous. He persecuted his people. We're going to save that one for a minute. And he was righteous under the law. By his own words, he was blameless. He was faultless. Paul was the greatest of the great and the worst of the worst. So let's take a step back and go back to Acts Y'all remember Stephen? Stephen was so full of the Spirit after the Holy Spirit came to the earth. You could see it in him. You could see the Spirit in him. There's a lot of similarities between Stephen's last day and Jesus' last day before before he was resurrected. In Acts 6.10, it says, they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit in which he was speaking. 
probably were afraid of him, but they were definitely angry with what he had to say. And you see in the Bible just a few times where someone that you can see, the Holy Spirit is so, so big that you can see it. Saw it in Moses in Deuteronomy. He spoke to God and he had to wear a veil over his face. We see it here in Stephen, of course in Jesus. But they were mad. So Stephen gives the longest speech in the book of Acts, a spirit-filled speech. And then at the end of his speech, in verse 55, um, in Acts 7, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Not sitting, standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and they stoned him. Meanwhile, the witnesses, which shows that it was an execution, meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Lord, don't hold this against them. And what are we, what are we looking at now? Philippians that Paul wrote? The Saul that was here egging on the execution of Stephen? And now he has this audacious faith. Saul, Paul, was forgiven. We see Stephen's prayer answered just a few, just a few chapters later on the road to Damascus. Count it all loss. Paul said, whatever I gain, I count as loss. The things that he thought were an advantage were a disadvantage. Everything is a loss because of the worth of Christ, Jesus my Lord. I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish so I can gain Christ. Did any of you read, in, read this in your CSB today? CSB Bible? What, what was the word for rubbish? Dung. Do you know what dung is? Large animal excrement. Or you might think of some other words. Poo. <laughs> things like that. It's a very tidy word for a very untidy substance. Dung, rubbish, garbage, nothing. Pure-blooded Jew, dung, meant nothing to him. He was royalty in the Jewish nation. His family was royalty. They came from the lineage of Abraham. Dung. Hebrew of Hebrews. He knew the law. Dung. Zealous. Blameless. Dung. Rubbish. Unimportant. No longer matters. 
Paul was exceedingly comfortable before he was converted. He had a life that was worthy of boasting. A life that many men probably wished they had at that time. And he calls it dung. I went to a conference a week or so ago, and I met a girl. I told her what I was doing this sermon on. She said, you have to tell this story. And I'm going to because it's a good story. Her name is Susie, and she was in her late 20s at the time. And she um, was in Austin, Texas. Susie claims that Austin, Texas is the most liberal city in America. I don't know. I've not been to Austin. I thought maybe San Francisco was worse. She said she's been there and Austin is worse. I don't know, but it's pretty liberal. And she worked at a college that was even more liberal than the city. And she was at the end of getting her master's degree. She was teaching there to be able to afford to go to school. And um, her whole life, as she was looking at expectantly, the nucleus was this university that was going to give her everything that she wanted to get to in her life. So she was done teaching one day. And she very clearly heard God say to her, you need to tell Brittany in the back row that she's not gay. And Susie knew what this meant in this university. If it got out that she even talked to her about being gay, it was not going to bode well for her job and therefore her master's degree. But she was obedient. And she went out and she has never spoken to Brittany she knows who she is, she's in her class, and said, hey, Brittany, how you doing? And Brittany's like, fine, how are you? And she was smoking, and Susie, who has never smoked a cigarette in her life, said, hey, can I have one of those? Because she's nervous, and she knows what she has to do, and she chit-chatted around, and finally, she just knew she had to do it, and she said, listen, I'm speaking to you as a friend, not as your teacher right now. And I don't know what your ideology is, and I don't know what you believe in, but I am a Christian girl, and I believe in Jesus, and God has compelled me to say to you, you are not gay. And Brittany started crying. And Susie wasn't sure, does that mean she's gonna tell on me? <laughs> or does that mean she, she feels what I'm saying? And Brittany, as she was crying, said, I broke up with my girlfriend last night. I don't fit in here. I've been praying for God to send me someone from my hometown. Susie felt the electricity go through her body and said, what is your hometown? And they came from the same hometown. They didn't know each other because Susie was six or eight years older in school. So Susie was obedient and Brittany got that friend. They're friends still today because of that moment of her obedience. That's audacious faith to step out, to be uncomfortable when you know the whole world that you have planned as a young woman depends on this job right now. But she stepped out. It is a privilege for us to be used by God and made uncomfortable because when he makes us uncomfortable, he trusts us for that next thing. And that's a privilege. As we go on to verse 9, Paul talks about his righteousness. 
Jesus' righteousness. His righteousness doesn't come through his own flesh. It can only come from Jesus. When righteousness comes from my flesh, from your flesh, from Paul's flesh, it is filthy rags. Isaiah tells us that. Paul's righteousness, our righteousness, could come only when we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Romans tells us that. 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you. My, pray, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Our weakness and our hardships are what grows us closer to God. When we think that our hope and our security are dependent on our circumstances, they're not. They're dependent on the promises of God, and God's promises are anchored in for our soul. They are an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Hebrews 6.19 tells us that. Ephesians 4, 13 through 15. The Holy Spirit is an agent of change that begins transforming us inwardly the moment we put our faith in Jesus. And the more faith we put in Jesus, the more uncomfortable we're going to be. But the more uncomfortable we are, the more that we're going to be blessed because we're doing that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not filled with Nita. I want to be over here. And I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be so full of the Spirit that when something annoys me, it, nothing annoys me anymore because I'm so full of the Spirit, I don't have time to worry about that. I came home from enough the other night and I was on cloud nine and my garage door was closed and I couldn't get to it the way I wanted to get to it. And I was, I mean, I came home and it was such a spirit-filled evening and in an instant, I turned to annoyance because I couldn't get in my stinky garage. It was a petty, stupid little thing, but I allowed myself to get emotional about it. If I was so full of the spirit, that wouldn't even bother me. I'd kick in the garage, right? I mean, it wouldn't matter. I don't know if the spirit does that for you or not, but wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> the more full I am of the spirit, the more uncomfortable I might be. But there's so much that comes from that. Luke 9:23 tells us, or he's talking to his disciples, and he's talking to us. If we want to be disciples of Jesus, we have to lose our own life and take up his cross. So I ask you, what are you proud of in your life? And, and remember, this is, these are bad things. All the things that we just saw from Paul are good things. He knew the Torah. He knew the law. He was blameless according to that law, which was exactly what he wanted to be for his God. He thought he was doing it right. But I was, you know, thinking about the things that I'm proud of in my life and that are important to me. And I love my job. I love working with the folks. I'm back at work now. I don't work from my office at home. I'm back at work and I get to see the people. Um, I have coffee connection every Friday and usually I have to rush out and go somewhere else and we were there for like two hours. It was so great. I love that. But that's not my full purpose. My purpose, your purpose, anyone who follows Jesus, our purpose is to be a disciple of Jesus, to go out into the world and tell people about Jesus. We all have different jobs. We all have different passions. We all have different ways of doing that. But that's our purpose. My purpose isn't to get to go to work and 
raise donations so that people can have a better life, to sit and have coffee with people that I have so much respect and love for. If God took that away, it would be hard. But if he did that, and I'm filled with him, I will survive it. I think of the ministries that I have. I love Gifts with Grace. It is not moving as fast as I want, but every time I meet a woman who is faced with trauma, and I just get to love on her and tell her that she is chosen, she is loved, and she is redeemed when she may never have heard those words. I love that. But compared to Jesus, it's nothing. It's dumb. I love my writing ministry. I love my family and my friends. And all those things are good and they are wonderful and we are allowed to have them and I don't want you to think I'm telling you you have to give all that up. But they can't be more important than Jesus. And sometimes that's gonna make us uncomfortable. Jenny Allen has a podcast and on it she has interviewed a pastor his name is Pastor X. If you have not listened to these podcasts, I highly recommend you look them up. I, I think it's called Made for This. And I think she's done two or three with this Pastor X. He is always, his face is, um, you can't see it, they've got it blurred out. They change his voice. He says he is from the Western Church. I think it's America just from the verbiage he uses, but I'm not sure. But now he lives in the Middle East, and he is married to a woman from the Middle East. These podcasts are full of amazing and wonderful stories about people who have chosen to be uncomfortable. But the story that I'm going to tell is he married this woman who is uh, from the Middle East and brought her back to America when his mission trip was completed. And he came home from work one night, and she was really unhappy. And he said, what's the matter? And she said, I'm bored. He said, how can you be bored here? There's malls, there's coffee houses, there's libraries, there's TV, there's theater. How can you be bored? And she said, exactly. And the words that she used are, this Western church is under a satanic lullaby. They're being lulled to sleep by Satan. She wanted to go home where she could do her work and be uncomfortable and make a difference. So they did. They live in the Middle East now. Fun fact, do you know that Iran is the fastest growing Christian church? How can that be? It is. They're not allowed to do it in public. They don't have the freedoms that we do. They don't have the comforts that we do. But Iran is the fastest growing Christian church. I know there's a lesson for us in there. Paul is driven by his desire for a relationship with Jesus. That's what drives him. Of course, he met him on the road to Damascus. And he says here, that I may know him, that I may know the power of the resurrection, share in his sufferings, to know the joy of the resurrection. To know the joy, he has to go through the suffering. He's here. He was here. But he wanted to be over here, and he did everything he needed to. And it was really uncomfortable. He's in prison. He's been beat up. He's been hungry. He's been cold. He did not have an easy life after he, after he chose to follow Jesus. He had such a great, easy life. So comfortable, right? And now his biggest desire is a relationship for Jesus. He wants that relationship with Jesus. And he's willing to be as uncomfortable as he needs to be 
Adopting kingdom values changes our focus. It changes, us on, changes it from things that I want and I desire and I think I need to serving others with genuine humility and love. We see it in Paul. We see it in Stephen. We saw it in Jesus. We, we are the carriers of the gospel. When we chose to make, to place our faith in Jesus, we chose to carry the gospel for him. It is an honor for us to do that, but it is also a mandate. Matthew 28 does not say, if you feel like it, you get to go out and make a disciple of all men. If you're an extrovert, you get to go out and make disciples of all men. It doesn't say that. Go out, make disciples of all men. I read a story not long after the Taliban took over Afghanistan. It broke me. It completely broke me. We, we lit, we're so comfortable. We are so blessed. And this story was about the Christians in Afghanistan. I think it was in the Voice of the Martyrs, if you get that magazine. And um, it talked about pretty much two things happened when the Taliban took over to the Christian communities within Afghanistan. Some of them ran for the mountains and hid there, and some of them stayed in the cities to continue their work. I believe that the Holy Spirit sent each one that way for, a particular, for their particular reasons. But the people that chose to stay, they know they're going to die. They know it. They knew when they made the decision to stay in those cities that their days are numbered. They don't know what that number is, but they know they're going to die. And it isn't going to be an easy death. It's going to be horrific. And they chose to stay. Do you know what they say when they wake up in the morning? How many people can I tell Jesus about today? I woke up every day and said, how many people can I tell Jesus about? How would that change the world? I get up. I have my Bible time. Tea. Sometimes a donut. I'm so comfortable in my cool house or my warm house. I'm going to go to work. They get up and they say, God, how many people do you want us to reach today? I want to be here. I want to be so full of the Spirit. Then when I wake up in the morning, I say, God, how many can I reach today in my easy world where I'm allowed to say whatever I want and nobody's going to come into my home and pull me out? And I'm not going to face a horrific death through that. How many people can I save today? Joe Munamale is a theologist that I just love to follow. He's so smart. And uh, he just got his doctorate in theology. And he was doing um, a piece on Paul. And he said, and I've seen this many times in, on Facebook in the last few days, and I, I find it really interesting because I have it in my, in my notes. He said, 
The day that Paul entered heaven, he was met by the cheers of those he martyred. Stephen stood there with his arms open wide and said, welcome, brother, I'm so glad you're here. Because he was uncomfortable. They're going to have that kind of celebration, or they did have that kind of celebration in heaven. Friends, this is not our home. When we have nothing to prove and no one to impress, it frees us to pour out the Spirit of God on everyone we come in contact with. And that's our purpose. John tells us that in 13. We are called by Jesus to do the hard and the holy work. Friends, that cross is heavy, but it is worth it. The discomfort is worth it because this world isn't our home. And someday, when you get to heaven, Stephen and Paul and all those people that Jesus takes you out to every day when you say, who can I tell about Jesus today? When we get to heaven, they're going to be waiting with open arms for us to get there. And I can tell you, there is no comfort on this earth that meets what is going to happen that day. The world notices when you lose something and you continue to have joy and peace and hope. They notice. And David Platt said, when Christ is your life, suffering is a gift. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father God, we just ask that you fill us with your spirit, that we would be so full of you, that we would not want to do anything but go out and do your work and touch your people so that the world might know who you are. Father God, we do not want to be in a lullaby. Satan, you have no place in this building, and in the name of Jesus, you have to leave. Fill us with your spirit. Take us out into your world that we might be your vessels. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.